This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. Good day to everyone who is listening. I hope you're psyched for something very different today. As you know, at Lattice, we're always exploring the theory, method, and practices of best impact in climbing performance. Whilst it's great to look inside of the climbing industry for a lot of this, there's also a huge amount of value to be gained by delving into the training and performance knowledge in other sports as well. And one sport that we know is highly relevant to climbing is that of arm lifting. You'll have seen clips of videos on the internet where athletes are lifting devices of various shapes and sizes off the floor with really heavy loads attached to them. And interestingly, some of the strength that's developed in this sport has an immediate crossover into climbing. So it's a total no-brainer for us to dive into this world and share with you as a listener why we think that the grip strength in this sport is relevant and applicable back into climbing. To kick off a series of interviews that we're doing with arm lifting specialists, we have Tanner Merkel, who's an American athlete holding some absolutely incredible world records. And importantly, Tanner also has a background in climbing, having started in 2004, was also the second at the US Boulder Nationals in 2010. And pretty impressively, he could do 10 one-arm pull-ups at the time. So definitely no slouch and a big welcome to the show, Tanner. Really cool to have you on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Well, I think probably the first point to start out with all of this is I know you're a climber and you're also a grip sports specialist, but for right. all of the climbers listening, can you give a summary of what you mean by grip sports or arm lifting? What is it? How do you define it exactly? Yeah. So, you know, when you call it grip sport or arm lifting, I, I think some of the terminology gets confused. It's really, it's, it's um, just competitions on how strong your hands are. So it's sort of like a, lower arm sport so we like to think of it um kind of like a big three and how you would power lifting you know they have the squat bench deadlift so there's other accessories but i like to think about it in terms of our big three which would be our axle deadlift the saxon bar and then gripper closes or silver bullet holds so the axle deadlift would be a big thick deadlifting bar the size of like a, a pop can or something and then the Saxon bar deadlift would be kind of like a big, uh, it's like a three by four, just metal deadlifting bar. So a big pinch bar. And you're just deadlifting that. And silver bullet is a gripper that you close all the way down and you hold it shut as long as you can. So you start to think about all these other aspects of grip strength. And those are kind of the main ones. You've got your thick bar, pinching and crushing. And, um, yeah, there's competitions where the event coordinator can pick any types of events. Um, but if someone was to get started, I would say looking at those three is a good place to start. And am I right in saying that the sport is quite differentiated from climbing in the sense that it's nearly always picking things up from the floor or squeezing things closed rather than from assessing the finger strength or the grip strength in a hanging position or anything like that. Right, right. That, that's exactly right. And it's actually kind of funny when I'm 
talking to some of my friends who have done extremely well in competitive climbing, outdoor climbing, and they're kind of bouncing some training ideas off me. And it becomes sort of like a, an, an epiphany of, oh my God, well, I, my lats are really sore and I'm, I'm really tired from all the hanging I've been doing. What do you think if I started doing these timed holds from the ground? And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> like, it, it, but it, it's funny because the climbers, that's not even something that they consider sometimes is strapping, you know, uh, just maybe a 20 millimeter crimp set up onto a loading pin on the ground and you can do your timed holds like that and thereby maybe even saving your your pulling strength a little bit like your lats and your rear delts from all the hangs that you've been doing so I think it's yeah you're right about that lifting straight off the floor is typically what we do with a lot of guys in grip sport it's mass moves mass right so a lot of us are kind of bigger guys and I mean, I say myself, but I'm maybe a hundred kilos or so, but guys are much bigger. And if you start contesting things, hanging off of, you know, a beast maker or, you know, campus rungs, it's, it gets to be a little unfair on the strength to weight ratio, but yeah, you're, you're right in that. Yeah. I, I just think it's so interesting. This element of grip strength, which has been climbers are obsessed with grip strength, finger strength, mm-hmm. but we've been working in a really narrow niche manner and i think this really kind of came of its own in lockdown where people suddenly couldn't go to climbing gyms and they had different kind of setups and they looked across into the grip sports and went ah there's a different way of doing this maybe this will work for us and people like yourselves yourself eve gravel etc have really opened up that world to being more accessible to climbers yeah, yeah, I agree. It's definitely something that you kind of stumble into when you don't have access to a climbing gym. That, I mean, that's kind of how I found it. I, I blew out my LCL doing like a big heel hook when you're almost kind of heel hooking on the outside of your heel and sitting on your leg. I blew out my knee and, you know, got a collection of some hand grippers and thought, I mean, how do you train with these things? Certainly people, you know, people have training programs and went online and found that there's a whole world of stuff that you can do. So yeah, it's, it's a uh, it's great cross training for other lower arm dominant sports, arm wrestling included. You know, and am I right in saying that the materials that you trained with train with are quite different to climbing? So we're typically using wood materials. Are you often working, or are you working solely with metal, or is it with stone as well? What's the kind of materials you're working with? So it, it's typically, yeah, t- typically it's a aluminum, steel. Um, that's typically it. You know, wood is, is better because you, you will notice sometimes, uh, and I mean, cl- climbers would get into this to the nth degree and the minutia of when you should go climb, you know, the humidity, the dew point, the cool, you know, how cold and gritty the rock feels. So you'll, you'll feel the same thing uh, on a climb, on a grip implement, say like a pinch device that's um, trying to think of an example of what it would look like. Maybe the width of if you put like two 20 kilo plates together, you know, that that's a feat is being able to pinch those two together, smooth sides out and standing to lock out. That, that's a grip feat that a lot of people try to do. But if you were to rub chalk onto those plates and then, you know, kind of fog it a little bit, rub more chalk, you're going to get a gritty texture that almost feels like concrete or something. And so if you were able to lift it with that texture and I couldn't, you go, oh, well, Tom's pinch strength is so much better. Well, maybe it's just the differences in the texture. So then I do think that there is an aspect of um, maybe something we haven't talked about in grip sport yet of 
using maybe more wood because I don't think that would be a bad idea, really. I, I think that's great. It's a little more consistent in your training. You know, it's, you're not always thinking about the, the texture so much. It's usually more uniform. Yeah. Well, c- can you take us back a, a few years? Um, because, you know, you've been climbing for not a million miles off 20 years now, but you've also been involved with you know, another side sport or another sport aside from climbing, what, and you just touched on that just now about the sort of the ACL injury, what got you into it originally? What were the first devices that you first used? Where do you realize you have an interest in it? Were you a total beast straight from the outset? Cause you had this climbing background. How did that look? So, I mean, I'll start a little bit with my climbing. So I have, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I have hypermobility, pretty extreme. I mean, you can see on video, but my first digit bends back like over 90 degrees. So when I go to closed crimp, I literally can't, I just roll off the holds, but open hands are just kind of in a half crimp position. I, I, I mean, I can still hang off the 20 millimeter at about 230 pounds right now. So it's like, I always thought growing up in climbing that my hand strength was drastically better than my climbing ability. Because if, if the holds got too small, I just couldn't grab them. It, I, I could just feel myself bend off and it frustrated me to the nth degree. And I mean, I quit climbing multiple times because I would just go so frustrated about that, right? So um, it, this was maybe 2000 and maybe seven or something like that. My one Christmas, my parents bought me uh, a hand gripper. You know, I opened my stocking and there's a hand gripper. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, they think Tanner's got strong hands. Let's get him a hand gripper to you know, get better at climbing. And I started climbing probably in 2004 or something like that. So this is maybe a couple of years in, they're trying to help me, you know, develop my hamstring, my hand strength. So I open up this gripper, I go to squeeze it. Might as well have gone out back and picked up a brick and squeezed it. I mean, it was impossible, right? So uh, th- when they got me, it was a number four gripper. <laughs> and if you know anything about, about hand grippers, the captains of crush number four is the most difficult one that they have. You know, they think, oh, yeah, our, our son's got strong hands. He's done well in climbing. Let's get him the hardest one. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's the one that maybe, you know, under 10 guys can do. So uh, I had that sit in my drawer for for years. And fast forward to around maybe, I don't know, the, the time kind of slips. But anyway, I would always thought my hands were stronger than my climbing ability. And I blew out my knee, like I said, on the heel hook and um, – remembered that gripper that I had started picking them up, closing them and looked up some training programs and found out that people had contests for this stuff. And it was really cool. Things like the inch dumbbell blobs and maybe people listening are familiar with some of those, but um, it was nationals was going to be 2017. So I'd trained for maybe about a year. So I guess the injury was around 16 or so. And uh, I showed up to nationals grip nationals. That is, And I I won my first year and I thought, wow, I I must really kind of have an an act for this. So that is what kind of encouraged me to keep doing it more and more. Um, Yeah. Climbing, I think definitely helped though, for sure. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have accelerated in the sport so quickly. And as a, both a climber and an arm lifter or a grip sport specialist, do you, are there certain kind of, benchmark tests that you think that anyone who is a really good climber or consistent to have good climbing finger strength would go and try some of these tools out in yeah 
and like what are the sort of the benchmarks just like in you the way that you said hanging off a 20 mil edge single arm is kind of like a benchmark within climbing strength yeah um so I, i'm it's kind of what i alluded to earlier um the blob and the inch dumbbell so have you heard of those before i have yeah okay so i mean just in, just briefly uh york barbell and believe it's in Anyway, the North America company, they manufactured these big uh, 100 pound dumbbells that people were cutting the handles off of in the middle. So you just have two big globes at this point. They're kind of big globe looking things. And Richard Soren back in the, uh, I should probably know this exactly what year, but you know, 80s to 90s range, um, cut the handle off, picked it up with one hand. So it's roughly 50 pounds now. And so it's a big wide pinch that was 50 pounds. And come to find out that was extremely difficult and you know he was doing that in his gym other guys would try and it's come to be something now that if you can work towards doing that that's demonstrating pretty good wide pinch strength so that's one and the other one for a thick bar which would be more of like a supporting kind of grip um where you're squeezing something maybe like 60 millimeters or so um is the thomas inch dumbbell and that's a dumbbell from people it's called the inch dumbbell and people think it's one like inch but it's, it's not it's a 60 millimeter handle big circus dumbbell like you kind of see the guys with the big mustache lifting them over their head yeah so there was a traveling strongman i believe he's a british strongman in thomas inch and he'd bring this dumbbell all around in the 1800s or so and um lift it up no one else could ever do it you know you'd have people come try and there's been multiple castings made of that dumbbell and it's been kind of a time-tested feat of strength that if you can pick that up and lift it, it's 172 pounds. You can, so what is that? Like, is that 80, 80 kilos, maybe 75 kilos? I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah, so did you say 160 pounds? It's 172 pounds. Yeah. I would put that at about, yeah, one, yeah, 65 kilos, 70 yeah, kilos. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, picking that up with one hand and uh, standing to lock out is considered a really good feet but you know these are things that are expensive to an extent that you kind of have to have at your gym or know someone who has one so if you don't have just these things some people have like a rolling thunder if you're familiar with that it's another just revolving handle cylindrical kind of you know 60 millimeters or so and i would say on a new generation handle there's been a couple but if you were to go buy one online right now it'd be the most current generation and that one is i would say if you could lift around 100 kilos that's that's pretty good maybe maybe 90 to 100 kilos i'd say that's maybe to the level of what we were saying earlier 20 millimeter one arm hang you know that's that's pretty damn strong well we've, we've got a rolling thunder at lattice actually and i cannot get anywhere near 100 kilos Not a- <laughs> <laughs> yes. just, be, just, just need a couple of coaching sessions what, what, i'm sure you're close so I think that brings me back to my next question, actually, is a lot of climbers out there will be wondering about how they train with these tools. And there's going to be marked differences because they're very used to dead hanging, essentially, mm-hmm. and some pulling exercises off kind of bars or cable pulls. What do you think are the, the fundamental things to get right when it comes to lifting? And how do you kind of essentially condition and prepare yourself to start training properly in that sense. If you had to go back to Tanner back in the past, what would have you told him 
to do for the first few months? So I would for sure establish where my one rep max is. So just for kind of consistency, I know I've been a little all over the place on what grip implements are. When I think of just training my grip strength in a way that's not climbing, but more arm lifting or grip sport focused, I really like to think of it just in terms of thick, thick, thick bar. I think that's really your bread and butter. Axle deadlift, rolling thunder, things like this, right? So I would establish what a one rep max is because really on a thick bar, it's, it's pretty safe. It's not like we're close crimping on campus rungs, you know, things that where you're going to blow an A2 or something. It's, it's not, it's not quite like that. So it's relatively safe. And I mean, I remember when I, when I would first start, it, it was kind of all over the place. I would have up all these implements and I was doing all of them on the same day in random order and not getting anywhere extremely fast. So I would pick two grip implements that make you excited, right? Two things that are, are fun to train that you want to get better at. So maybe it's rolling thunder in a, in a pinch implement, like a flask or something. For our purposes, let's just say rolling thunder. And I'd establish a one rep max, let's say, um, just for easy math, let's say my one rep max is 100 pounds. So I would take maybe about 70% of that. So now I'm working with about 70 pounds. And I do an exercise that's pretty similar to like repeaters that people would do on a hangboard. So the way that I would do it is I grab the rolling thunder with my 70 pounds, I'd lift it, and I just hold off the ground for maybe I'd do about five to eight, maybe eight to 12 seconds and set it down, go again, set it down, go again, doing about three. And that's not failure, right? But that is one set. And I do the other side too. And that's one set. And I usually repeat that about four to five times. And then that would be my workout for that Monday. And I would repeat that workout once I feel recovered, which is usually around Thursday or so. And then in the following weeks, I'm going to be adding weight, maybe just five pounds or so. You can either add weight or you can add volume. I prefer to add weight. So if I was to start over again, I would probably focus more on writing things down because I never wrote things down. I would just go out there and using no kind of biofeedback, knowing how strong I am that day, I would just go and I'd start ripping on stuff. My buddy, Adam, Adam Glass, maybe you've heard of him. He's a, I live in Texas. He's a strong Texas grip guy. He had a pretty good idea where you squeeze a baseline dynamometer or any dynamometer, where if people don't know that measures your hand strength, you just squeeze two pieces of metal pretty much as hard as you can. And it reads how strong your grip is. So you squeeze that in the morning or before your training session. And if you're near your a PR range or within like 90, 95% of where you normally are, that's an indicator that this can be a good hard training session for you. Or if you go squeeze it and it's a little outside of the range, it could be it's either a soft training day for you or maybe it's a rest day. So I use things like that in writing things down if I was to go back, you know, a few years ago and start over. Okay. That, that's really interesting to hear that you're, you're using a, essentially a, a repeater method. Uh, so you're coming back into subsequent reps where you're not fully rested and you're going to carry okay. some fatigue basically from that previous rep. Is that something which is go on, Karen? Okay, so I say that, and maybe I should have said this before. That's what I'll do when I'm starting my block. So, ah. yeah, I, I, I start my training blocks like that. 
And then once I'm reaching a point where adding weight feels like I'm just, I'm, I've plateaued a little bit, I'll pull back all that. And then I'll start training with just triples and doubles at like 90% one rep max, maybe even harder. And that all leads up to training for singles. Um, the idea of this training block being I'm training for a competition or for a climber's purpose. Maybe you're training for a hard, you know, a hard boulder outside or a hard route or whatever you're going to go on a trip or something like that. But what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I think actually that sort of answers my question is uh, basically what you're doing is you're, you're working on something which is more of a hypertrophy stimulus or response that you get exactly. and then you're moving it into maximal strength recruitment for yeah. that peak conditioning to then enter into a competition to max out one rep max. In, you know, that, that's correct. And I, I tell you this as something that's worked for me, but, you know, I, I don't really have uh, experience outside of just what's worked for myself and what's worked for a couple of my friends. But that method did increase my one rep max on this one in particular handle by about 15 to 20 pounds over the course of about three months or so. Um, really, I, I should pick your brain about this because I'm sure you have a lot better training methods that would, would help me in grip. Um, but from my own kind of standpoint that that's been successful for me. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And would you say that's common? Cause I, I know that you have this really strong elite crew of guys that you train with in Texas and in the state mm -hmm. where you live. And that's something which has been obviously important to you to kind of learn from that group and share methodology. Would mm -hmm. you say that that strategy you're taking there is common in the sport or is it something that you developed yourself and pulled away pulled from climbing um how, how is that because i'm always interested to see the differences between climbing and arm lifting yeah so that's something that i'm that i made up that kind of training uh hypertrophy block leading into heavier sets i i did that myself and what i'd found success with was uh i kind of did take that from climbing I, i'm remembering a, a workout i used to do uh we did this at the right before we would start triceps. It was me and my friend Brian that was on a climbing team with me back in 2010 or so. We would take like a kind of the medium metolius rungs and just do hangs, which I mean, maybe they're a little bigger than 20 millimeters, but we would pre pretty much do that exact same workout. And then uh, sometimes adding a little bit of weight as things, you know, weeks later as it got heavier and heavier just to, you know, make the exercise harder. So I remembered having success with that and started doing that for climbing, I mean, for, uh, for arm lifting, but as far as what the other guys do. So, I mean, I train a lot with uh, a guy named David Trout, who's one of the strongest deadlifters in Texas. I think he's pulled like 884 pounds, you know, like over, over 400 kilos. It's like, it's, or whatever. It's, it's pretty dumb. So he's, he's an extremely experienced strength athlete. And I train with Adam Glass, who's been involved with grip sports since like 2010 or something. He, he can like literally curl a 20 kilo plate, like just from a dead hang, just pinching it in between his hands like this, his thumb and his uh, fingers and curl it. He's the strongest in the world at that by a very large margin. So Adam actually trains kind of like the way a climber would almost on like a daily basis. He, he actually did an inch dumbbell lift every day for a hundred days. And at the end of that, he's doing thick bar every day. But a Thomas inch dumbbell lift for Adam is only maybe an 80% one rep max for him, maybe something in that range. But just doing that so frequently really conditioned his neuromuscular system. And he, he was really 
really, really good at doing that one particular skill. So when you're talking about, about climbing and arm lifting, getting really good at maybe one particular arm lifting event is, is truly a skill. Um, I, I look at it in the same way. If even some really good arm wrestlers, they're skinny guys that would beat really big guys, it's because they're very, very good at this particular skill and in that range with their wrist strength. They've just worked on that over and over and over. So Adam trains more like that, where every day he'll do something. And he, he does a lot more um, heavy sets too. Like he'll, he'll lift the inch dumbbell maybe a couple of times and then maybe eh, one or two pretty damn heavy uh, singles. And that's, he's had success with that. I'm thinking if he's even tried the way that I trained with, uh, with timed holds, I don't think he does. He does more just high, uh, high intensity, but it works for him. He's, he's been getting a lot stronger this year. His thick bars through the, through the roof. And, and is there any uh, common practice within the grip sports where athletes will do higher volume, low intensity, almost like capillarization or conditioning of the muscle or trying to increase the general workload of the muscle to build up for kind of longer term training cycles? Is there any of that practice? That's, that's what needs to be coming next. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, in particular, how my hands got, got so strong. I mean, I'm doing fairly well in this. It got so strong. Um, I'm thinking about what I did that led up to this and thinking about like the capillarization through really, really high volume and how I would train that in climbing. Like thinking about when I was training for sport routes or uh, me and my friend did 24 hours of horseshoe hell a couple of times. And I don't know if you know that competition, but you're climbing for 24 hours. And uh, I was just thinking about how much climbing I used to do. And I was still really pretty strong in my hands. I'm like, there's got to be like some sort of carryover. You're probably the person to ask because I don't know anyone in grip that does that, but it's got to be something beneficial, especially to put at the front of a program, right? That's kind of how you would do it. You don't put it on the back end. Is it something you do on the same days as your heavy training? Or is this something that you're doing for like a month of just this high volume? Yeah, I think, I mean, in in climbing, we... It depends whether you're taking a concurrent or a block periodization model and, and your approach to training that often is re- with respect to how advanced or how long you've been down your training pathway as, a, as an athlete. Um, but certainly I think this, this particular topic is a really interesting one. And that's why I want to interview a load of arm lifters because I want to see whether there's any differences in our practices because a lot of climbers will do that base volume work but they deal with this de-recruitment effect that occurs by doing a lot of volume, especially if it's threshold volume work where you de-recruit from max strength. So it makes you feel weaker, even mm-hmm. though you've built up capillarization or be- base aerobic capacity. So it's, it's like the devil's in the detail with that one. It's, 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 you've got to be. Really, yeah. Right. And you have to be very calculated about it too, because too much, obviously you're going to take your CNS. And too little, you're not going to benefit. And I'm remembering I actually have started doing something that's similar to like a four by four workout that uh, you do like in like bouldering. Like um, I'm, I don't need to tell you how to do four by fours, but um, I'll, I've been doing that with my thick bar training, where I'll have an axle deadlift that's not difficult for me really at all, and doing like a set of five to eight, but that's just ever so slightly using my muscles. It's maybe like 50 percent max or something. And I'll go and I'll lift the inch dumbbell 
for not quite to failure. And then I'll do a finisher with just a different size thick bar. For, for people listening, an axle deadlift is smaller diameter than an inch dumbbell. So in a way, I kind of am treating those four implements as different boulders or roots and kind of using that as a four by four, but I don't feel like I'm getting just a skin splitting pump or I'm just my lactic acid acid threshold isn't, I don't feel like I'm really training it, but I have started incorporating just a little bit more hypertrophy training because I I think that I'm going to notice more of a benefit than um, it really, if you start talking to more grip guys, you're going to hear this. Most guys just go out in the garage and they rip one rep maxes and they just try to train their their nervous system to just be so, so good at that one skill that they just get a little bit stronger because they're just more adaptive lifting like that. Um, but I think that plateau is pretty quick. So that's going to be the next thing I think is what you're, what you're talking about there. Mm. Well, how does it, what's the, the approach in the lifting sports in terms of uh, the conditioning of the entire kinetic chain involved with those lifts? And I asked that with, the context of climbing that we often see that you can have some people that have very strong forearm or, or hand grip in isolation, but if they're very weak shoulders, it's almost for nothing because they can't actually engage with the shoulder, put themselves in positions which are relevant to climbing and kind of carry the tension through that entire kinetic chain. Do you see the same thing in lifting where people will do a lot of shoulder work, for example, I, I'm guessing lower back as well because of the lifts how's that work well you know I, i'm trying to think of, of good examples but i guess one thing i can think of is when i started doing this i wasn't a lifter at all i was a, i was a climber you know i was 170 pounds when i started this i was lighter than the inch dumbbell right i was, I was skinny for me at least and my deadlift was terrible i mean i, I couldn't deadlift it really much over i mean i don't remember what i started at but maybe 350 pounds or something and all the guys that I was training with could deadlift much over 450, 500 was no problem. And I noticed that as my deadlift got stronger, incidentally, everything else started getting better because my body was more adept to just pull things off the floor faster. Even though my hand strength, I think, wasn't actually getting just a ton stronger, my deadlift was. I'm not sure if that answers your question directly because, you know, balancing things out, um, maybe it's, I think a lot of guys that do grip kind of train everything already. It attracts, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, it just attracts a, a lot of old school power lifters, guys that used to lift a lot, but now their knees hurt and they can't really squat anymore, but they still like doing strengths. And, you know, we, there's some guys like that that have found the sport. So I think a lot of people are already pretty conditioned to get into grip. Um, I don't, I don't think I really have a, a great answer for you there. I know. So, I mean, sometimes with these things, there there isn't an answer or a consistent pattern in that sport or or in that industry. But I always think the question's worth asking because, you know, I have so little expectation coming to this interview and talking to you. I you could tell me stuff that was kind of wildly off the charts from what I was expecting, and I'd be sat here going, "Wow, really? Are you doing that? That's really interesting. Yeah. Why are you doing that?" So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, another question I have, and this goes back to that max strength element and breaking some of these or going for some of the world records or breaking some of the world records in specific grip types that you've, you've achieved or you've worked on is how long 
does that path or road look or how long does it look like to achieve that? Do you run it over multiple seasons where you might focus on a particular grip for um, three to four months, take a break from it for two to three months and then come back to it to another cycle? Um, And I ask this with relevance to climbing that some people might be working on their half crimp grip position. And I don't necessarily think within climbing that it's a good idea to hammer the same grip type on a very focused training method for 12 months of a year. I think it's good to actually dip in and out a little. Does it, does the same occur in arm lifting? It it totally does. So, I mean, closing grippers is not really something that is contested. We do a lot more of like closing the two handles around the silver bullet, which I alluded to earlier. and, And you just hold that little piece of metal in between the two gripper handles for as long as you can until it drops out. But a lot of people's first introduction to grippers is actually setting them and then closing them where the two handles touch. And I remember working on that a lot when I first started because grippers are, are fun, they're collectible, and you know it's, it's just kind of a fun thing to get better at. And I would hammer away at this until the back of my wrist hurt so bad because all you're doing is this extreme flexion and no extreme extension or anything or no, I mean, really you just get super overtrained. And that happens too with pinch and with thick bar. You can imagine, I mean, training these things as hard as you possibly can, you get a little bit of uh, the ligaments start to ache, a little bit of tendonitis. And so that's why I mentioned earlier that I thought that thick bar was king. And that was the bread and butter for an an arm lifting uh, training program. A, A lot of the guys around here in Texas would agree to. We were talking about this the other day. I increased my axle deadlift. I put like maybe like 80 pounds on it, or really, I guess like my first axle deadlift was like 350. I recently pulled 450 in competition and that's all increasing my axle. And then the other day I went and grabbed a gripper and my gripper strength has gone up tremendously just from training thick bar. So if I would have just kept banging grippers all the time, I probably wouldn't have gotten that much better, but you kind of take a distance and then work on something that's complementary to grippers, like thick bar, just something that is going to still be working my hands hard. And I did find that there's carryover, but the way that I typically will structure my training is I'll look at what the upcoming contests are. So it's not really that I'm doing a block where like how you would say training half crimp versus maybe later training all the way open-handed. It's not that I'm thinking in that way. It's that incidentally, I end up training different things because different contests might use other implements. So maybe I'm going to have the Arnold Arm Lifting Championship. And we're going to be doing, let's say it's, I think this year they're doing um, Axle Deadlift, Rolling Thunder, and Saxon Bar. Maybe I have another competition in four or five months. It's going to be Gripper Closes maybe more of like an anvil style lift or you're grabbing something by the horn. And if I'm doing things like that, I'm going to be able to rest the other ligaments. So to your point, it's for sure beneficial to take time off from a certain grip angle and focus on other things. And sometimes you come back almost always stronger. It's amazing how that happens. And people think they've just got to keep hammering forever on one thing. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's often you see the results by backing off from, something for a while and and giving it time. That's so true. Sometimes like really more, more often than not, I I don't come back to training thinking, Oh, I wish I hadn't have rested so long. It's like, I'm sure, you know, you're cut from the same cloth where you just training is is so fun. You just always want to keep 
keep training. You, you wake up the next day and it's like, I really, really want to train. I really want to train. And some days you look at your skin and it's just like, I really want to, but I, and I, it, I just shouldn't, you know, and uh, rest is, is really beneficial, obviously. And do, do you, do you or any of your uh, training community um, and, you know, people that you uh, train with do basic exercises like, uh, you know, forearm uh, uh, flexor rolls, extensor rolls, uh, wrist wraps, etc. Are those those kind of very basic exercises in terms of what you see standard people in the gym do used no. at all? Not at all. Interesting. Not at all. They're not really strength exercises. I'm trying to think of like a good analogy, but kind of in the same way, you don't really see um big bench pressers doing just like a kind of a cookie cutter just banded workout you just don't really see things like that i mean when you take the little 20 pound dumbbells and you're hanging your wrist over a bench and you're just kind of flexing your wrist back like that i don't i mean i think you cut you might as well be standing on a bosu ball doing curls like that you know it's just not a super beneficial exercise i, th- I think you've got to overload the muscle i mean and the forearm recovers so fast. It's just like, I mean, you can really load it up. I don't think doing small little things like that is very, is very beneficial, but um, I'm sure there's someone out there that's probably cursing me right now for saying that, but I, mean, just, I don't know. Just to be clear, did you just say curling a 20 kilo dumbbell? <laughs> no, no, 20 pounds. Uh, so, yeah, I was about yeah. to say, I can't even do a 20 kilo dumbbell on my wrist. <laughs> Yeah, no pounds, kilos, you don't know, but yeah, no 20 pounds. Okay, that's that's also really interesting to hear because we we use it quite a lot um with our athletes um really? as a as a basic exercise and doing wrist curls like that? Yeah, like heavy. Um so heavy hmm. uh, weighted uh wrist or forearm curls. And one it may not necessarily be the correct thing to do. There's there's potential here that we're we're missing a trick and we're doing the incorrect thing. So far, the approach has often been that we wanted to get climbers away from using that grip position, which is much more closed. It tends to get very overworked and just moving them from away from doing something that's always this isometric contraction and moving to something that's more isotonic, um, but lowering the risk in terms of how you're loading the, the soft tissues. That's been our but, yeah, and I, and I love that answer because every exercise needs to have a purpose. I, I feel like sometimes you see this in people's training routines where they just have loads and loads of volume, and they're doing all these exercises, and it's like each one of those exercises is fine in its own as long as there's a purpose behind it. You know, why are you doing that? So, I mean, I do love your answer there. You do have a reason for it. They are doing it heavy. Um, kind of what I was talking about is, is when you're doing a light, and you just see people that are just doing stuff like that, and you're like, okay, what are you? what's your purpose here? Um, sometimes I think I get a little bit of extensor, extensor training, even when my hands are really wide on a pinch, um, like maybe three and a half to like a four inch big wide pinch like that. If I overload that while I'm lifting, like on a Saxon bar, the force of my, like if you were to open your hands into a big C and squeeze down. And then if you were to start lifting from that position, you actually do have to engage your extensors a little bit. And I just benefit a little bit more, I think from, all my lifts being heavy and because I compete in a sport that has very specific implements that we're using, I like to split my time in between those three 
And I think the varying grip that you're using ends up uh, kind of complementing the other ones. I don't really have to add any more exercises because really it's just so much time at that point. Mm. And what, what, do you, what do you guys typically do for any specific directed extensor training? I know you said just then about the kind of the lifting of those fatter bars is it does ha- work that extensor uh, muscle. I do, more, I do nothing. I do nothing. No. Um, I know some guys like to use a little rubber bands on their hands and they do the extensors, but um, you know, I, I might be kind of alone in thinking this, but um, let me think if I can find kind of a good analogy, but uh, like, when I'm closing these grippers, let's say a number four is uh, maybe 98 kilos to close all the way down. I mean, I am squeezing so hard and, you know, okay, maybe I not, can't quite get it closed. I'm feeling pretty sore in the next couple of days. I think I need to get some recovery. Maybe I'll get a little rubber band and put it around my fingers and do this a couple of times, you know, some little finger flicks. It's like, that seems like it just pales in comparison to what I'd just done the day before. It's like, I feel like I need to do an equal, equal angle. The way that you say, you know, for every pull or for every, you know, pull exercise, you need to do two push. People say something like that, but it's not like you're going to be doing a whole bunch of really heavy one-arm pull-ups. And then you're going to be doing push-ups just against a wall or something. It's like, you really need to do something heavy for those other angles. The climbers get these really overdeveloped backs, you know, and their chests are almost kind of caved in looking. And it's like, I wouldn't tell that climber to just do, some really lightweight, maybe assisted dips or something like that. I'm like, you probably need to sit on a bench press and work up to some really heavy weight. Like, I'm not trying to say put, put 20 pounds of muscle on this guy, but if this guy's strong enough to be doing sets of like sets of one arm pull-ups, which I mean, we all know boulders that can do that. And they always get shoulder injuries. They always get elbow injuries. And the, the answer is doing heavier compound lifts. I don't think it's doing lighter accessory work. So that's kind of my angle of thinking about that. I know people do those and some people swear by them and they've had good success and I'm I'm glad, but I just really haven't found a lot of benefit from those. Um, I think I'm probably an outlier when you look at people who are doing those, but uh, there's my hot take. You know, you can, you can flame me for that or, you know, but whatever. No, I mean, this comes down to the, the beauty of training and, the individualization of any athlete. And that's what I love about this sport or any sport really is that there are multiple paths to excellence and there are common threads across them often, but there are different options. And I think that's so cool because every person is different. They have different biology, biomechanics set up in life, lifestyle, resources, money, time, etc. But we still all have a chance to get where we want to it just might take a slightly different approach do you are you seeing this in um like the climbers where you're at people using more compound lifts barbell style lifts maybe not quite olympic lifting but like over where i am it's kind of just now um like we just a new gym opened over by me when a movement opened a gym in dallas and they've got a big you know rogue fitness center with a lot of barbells things like that and i'm surprised to see a lot of climbers actually using the equipment because prior to, at least from what I've seen in the last couple of years, like climbers didn't really do weight training. Is that something that you're seeing more of or? Yeah. I mean, we, we use it a lot with our, our um, athletes, especially at the higher high end. And 
I very definitely have an expectation that an elite level climber should be able to lift or pull or push yeah. pretty heavy. Like, I like that. If I, if I get an elite um, climber on bench press and they can't quite comfortably bench, and this is not in, in a sort of you know, contained rack where it can't move backwards and forwards, it's actually you know, free weights. If they can't comfortably lift body weight on bench, for example, then it's, it's not actually good enough really. Um, and it shows that either they haven't worked on the chest at all, or they've just been doing loads of press ups. Uh, what would that be? Right. 20% of one yeah. rep, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of okay, but it's just not fit for purpose. And interestingly, we see that with a lot of climbers, actually, you're very strong in the pulling muscles. If you give them a block of eight weeks of heavy bench work, suddenly they can do one arm pull ups and they couldn't do them at all before. Mm. and there's some interesting crossover with that kind of work really interesting yeah a couple uh a couple of guys um that train at the gym or the climbing gym by me uh, i started getting them doing more deadlifts and i could have sworn there used to be a book maybe i'm misremembering this but called like why climbers should deadlift something like that and um at the top position of a deadlift maybe the top third the back muscles that you're using in the core muscles, it almost looks like you're standing up in a front lever position. You know, when you're laying back in a front lever with your lats engaged and your arms kind of parallel to the ground, it really is kind of similar to how you'd be doing a heavy deadlift. So you like, kind of start thinking it's like that might not be the worst accessory exercise for a climber on a strength training day. And I don't know. I, I just like seeing climbers being more interested and even like how, how we're doing this talk now about just grip sports, really kind of diversifying your training outside of just, you know, Wolfgang Gulick campus rungs for days and days and days. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I very much agree with you and be- better conditioned athletes who are able to understand this flex in and out of non non sport specific strength and conditioning work in the right part of the season to then moving into sports specific work in the correct part of the season is a very useful and valid approach and keeps people in the sport longer and they will be operating at a higher level for more decades and that's what i like seeing i mean personally for us at lattice we're not really into building people that burn bright for three years and then just broken and knackered because they were great for three years. I want to have people that are really good athletes for 20 plus years. I see that. I love what you're doing over there. You're doing the right thing. It's, it's a great approach. Um, let me ask you another question. Um, I know we're kind of uh, getting to the the end of our time together on this interview. And um, it's been really, really interesting chatting to you so far. Um, you are quite a bit heavier than a lot of climbers that we will mm-hmm. train. And especially at the elite end a lot of guys at the elite end will be somewhere between the 65 to low 70 kg range and you're uh somewhere around the 100 kg range right my question is is have you how do you how do you feel on a climbing wall because i know you still climb is there Mm -hmm. an like just tell me all about that because we don't get to work with a lot of climbers who have incredible grip strength at a hundred kilos. So I, I think kind of a, a, a funny thing there is, so I mean, I can still, so I'm, I'm maybe like 102 kilos or something right now. And I can do a couple one-arm pull-ups right now. 
I can do a one arm off like a like a 20 millimeter like on the bottom part of the peacemaker so it's like I know my grip strength is still pretty good and then even strength to weight ratio that's I mean it's it's, it's decent but on the board it's almost like you know whenever you're crimping on something small and you feel like you could pull a little harder but you just dry fire off of it and just bang or you you're stepping on a small jib and as you're starting to push into it it just gets right off and that's because of the amount of pressure the amount of weight that you're pushing down onto that well add you know 30 40 more kilos you can imagine how much more dramatic you see that so bigger holds i still feel very comfortable um but as you start getting the hold smaller and smaller, I feel like I can grab them, but the force that I have to put, like, uh, it's like the, the friction, I just start to slide off of it. You know, obviously you want to use chalk, you want to dry your hands out and you flap your arms around to try to get just as dry and kind of do calluses pliable, but you know, and it used to be, I would stick to holds because I just didn't weigh very much. When you weigh more, it's like, you notice that sliding effect so much more. The hold's feeling greasy, as people say, you know, the condition's not being good. It's like, I noticed that just ever so much being like a little over a hundred kilos, but I have been trying to cut weight. And I, you know, I, I haven't been climbing a lot in the last few years since I got into grip, but with this new gym opening up, I've been going more and more frequently. And I'd like to get back to a point of, I mean, probably not at the level I was back when I was competing in 2000, maybe 10 through 12, but just to a point where I can have more fun with it. Cause right now it's, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. I, I wouldn't recommend climbing at hundred kilos. Well, um, I mean, I think uh, looking at that ability that you have for, you know, stuff like one armor um, and being able to hang a, a single joint edge, one arm still at a hundred kilos, that must be, like thinking about the metrics that we've collected at Lattice over the years, I would wager that's probably in the top five in the world in terms of total kilos of force that someone is able to put through on a 20 mil edge. And I like to hear that because it, at the beginning of our interview, that that's one thing that I mentioned was I always did kind of think that my hands were disproportionately strong to what was like reflected on climbs that I'd done. It's like I wasn't climbing as hard as some other people. And it was bizarre to me. I'm like, I know my, like I could just tell. I'm like, I, went, I know my hands are strong. So um, that, that's interesting to hear. I, I kind of would have thought that that was strong, but not, you know, at the upper echelon. But mm. interesting to hear. We know, so what we need to do is I'm going to get a package together. I'm going to send some stuff to you in the post. <laughs> nice. Uh, That'd be cool. I want, I want to get you to, to break some PBs on, in terms of our... Uh, our uh, finger strength kit. Um, Eve's, Eve needs a, um, a competitor. Uh, he, he's got too many of the records on various things. So uh, He's such a freak. <laughs> Everything he uploads is just a freak show. <laughs> yeah, he is very, very strong. Um, but then the other thing I was thinking is uh, it would be so... In- we, we've got a digital um, finger strength gauge uh, that we use for a lot of our research work and working with elite athletes where you keep your feet on the floor. So it's actually mm-hmm. in some ways somewhat independent of body weight. It just measures how much force you can pull. We need to get to one of these world championship events and bring that testing device along. I'd love to record some of the the big scores in this and find out what absolute forces they generate because I'm just interested in terms of the human potential 
of the forearm and how much force it can actually generate. It's like arm lifting for maybe like the top 5% of guys, I think you'd find some really interesting things. And then maybe even more so in arm wrestling. I don't know if you've looked into that at all, but just in terms of thinking about people's training programs, I don't, I'd have to maybe message you later about who to, to talk to, but um, there's some arm wrestlers out there that are ridiculously strong. Like, like the wrist strength is unreal. And it's an angle I think would be interesting for you because it's sometimes grabbing like a big sloper, like boulders where you feel like you're really wrestling a refrigerator to get on top of it. And a wrist strength sometimes becomes a limiting factor and uh, arm wrestlers are so, so strong in that angle. Oh yeah, I will definitely hit you up after this for some uh, contacts because I'd love to get some more input because again, there's going to be some relevance back into climbing and uh, it would be great to chat to some of those people in that sport as well. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much, Tana, for taking the time this evening to Oh yeah, chat absolutely. To uh, yeah. I know we've um, kind of uh, sent a few messages to each other on Instagram, the DMs and things like that, but we've yeah got around to organising it um finally um can you or would you be happy sharing with people where they can find uh, anything out about you as uh, an individual whether it's social links website blog or anything like that sure yeah i have a instagram it's just my name tanner merkel and i upload most things on there um mostly training I, i'm not quite as active I have a YouTube, I think that I, I don't post on there. It's just a couple of climbs that I've done, but um, for, for the most active stuff, Instagram for sure. Okay. And also what would you say would be the number one website for anyone to go to in terms of looking for more information about arm lifting? Uh, arm lifting USA. Uh, they have a website that has all the upcoming contests. They keep a leaderboard. Um, that's probably the most active right now. Okay, brilliant. Well, yeah, thanks so much. It's been fascinating. I've learned something even more today and uh, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's so interesting. And I will leave you to uh, spend the rest of your evening um, or rather daytime because you're in the USA. <laughs> um, and I'm sure we'll catch up again very soon. All right. Thanks, Tom.